I'm George Sleffo. And I'm Eileen Sliffering. And welcome to the third season of The Current Podcast. The Current is your deep dive into the future of TV, media, and data-driven marketing, all explained in plain English. We talk to the biggest names in digital marketing, and in this episode, we get political, literally. We speak with Mike Schneider, partner at Bully Pulpit Interactive, and Billy McBeth, digital director at American Crossroads, who give us their right and left takes on political advertising's digital landscape as we ramp up for the 2022 midterms and look ahead to the 2024 presidential election. We bring up topics like how connected TV is seeing more ad dollars and how agencies are already looking to evolve their identity strategies to solve for the eventual loss of third-party cookies. Hi, everybody. My name is Billy Macbeth. I'm Senior Advisor and Digital Director at Senate Leadership Fund, a Republican super PAC that focuses on getting a Republican Senate elected. Hey, everyone. I'm Mike Schneider, partner at Bully Pulpit Interactive. We're an agency that sits at the intersection of business, politics, and policy. We work on the Democratic side, most recently for President Biden's presidential campaign, as well as on the corporate reputational side. The typical political marketer does the majority of work in a week that a corporate guy gets to do in about six months. We have to do polling analysis, audience analysis, how did our creative work, how did our budget spend, where are we most effective with our budgets all in about a week, and then turn it around and go back into production and do it all again. That's super interesting. So basically what you're saying is, is that marketers are lazy and they should pick up the slack. No, they have they have a better time frame. You know, we sit and plan for a year and then uh, just go execute and execute for six months or so on the persuasion side. Whereas those guys get to really do a long burn on how their performance is going. From our perspective at Bully Pulpit, our business is actually roughly half political in the democratic space and then half in the corporate reputational space. So we get to see both sides of it. Totally agree with Billy on the speed side of this. And what's so interesting about the political piece is really the intensity. It's zero sum. You can buy Coke, you can buy Pepsi. You can only vote once, hopefully, for your candidate of choice. And so that forces a real focus on speed, also forces a real focus on integration. How does every part of the campaign work together from the digital to the paid media across all channels to the ground game and field to a direct mail program to polling and research? And so that's actually a lot of thinking that we've been able to bring to the corporate side of how do you make relatively siloed or typically siloed departments work better in tandem. Can you describe how the political ads landscape is structured from year to year, from midterms to presidential election season? The off years, typically the odd year where there will be some gubernatorial races going on. That's generally kind of the building and acquisition phase of a campaign. You're trying to build your base, look at where your fundraising is coming from. If you're a new candidate, you're just sitting there thinking about running or not running, trying to make that decision. Then you switch into the own year and you've got your acquisition phase, which is early on, and your education. Then you move into persuasion. And then after persuasion, you're into GOTV and trying to find those last pieces of people to persuade to vote for you. And one thing that's so interesting and has really changed about the timeline of this is that the way that we've been able to measure success as political marketers has really fundamentally changed since 2020. And so that's really come with 
a more of a shift towards vote by mail and increased early voting, which is, of course, great because it's more representative, participatory. Of course, there were a number uh, of other health concerns why that was the case in 2020. But as political marketers, that gives us the opportunity to look at campaign performance over a longer window. And so the way that this worked in 8, 12, 16 was basically really focused on getting people to the polls and then spent months post-election doing sort of the post-game analysis, what worked, who actually voted. We're now able to do that basically in real time for the last 30 days of the campaign. And so now running a political campaign where you're trying to get people to vote feels a little bit more like an e-com effort than it did in the past where you sort of have consistent success metrics that you can track back towards. Totally agree. The early voting period is just kind of a fascinating piece of campaign world where you're watching returns come in and you can understand what is happening on the ground very early out. One more huge difference that I'd highlight between the political space and corporate space, again, seeing both sides is I do think the political space is still behind in the way that they think about modern media consumption habits and how that shifted. And so in any typical political campaign, you know, we'll typically see somewhere between 20 to 30 percent of budget go towards digital. That just really doesn't reflect the way that people are consuming media today. And so if we look at media consumption trends, maybe people spend about 13 hours a day total with media, including some second screening, about eight hours of that, I think about 60% is digital. And so that ratio is just really wildly off. And if we look at the corporate side, we've actually spent the last year building a number of competitive tracking tools in the corporate space that let us see spend across digital and TV and newsletters. And so for corporate reputation, which is really similar to political persuasion, that budget split really reflects the time spent. We see just north of 60% of budget going towards digital. And those two worlds are just so fundamentally different. Mike, you were mentioning how much advertising in the space is moving towards digital. And one of the most popular channels is CTV. How will CTV be leveraged for the midterms, would you say, this year? I would say uh, moving maybe a little bit too slowly towards digital. The CTV space, totally agree with you. This is the ballgame for this election and all future elections. And what we've seen over the last couple of years is that TV just really has this defined reach ceiling. And that ceiling is getting lower every year. And what I mean by that is that buying the same number of GRPs, because more people are cutting the cord, some people haven't subscribed at all, but buying the same amount of GRPs is reaching fewer and fewer people every year and just driving up that frequency among a narrower audience. The question on the CTV side is, how do people buy this intelligently? And the real opportunity here is that this is treated more like a digital channel where it can be optimized, it can be measured, it can be responsive to what's happening in the landscape or in the news or based on user behavior. And isn't just set it on the same set it and forget it plan that TV buys often are. I agree with Mike. This cycle will be the cycle that kind of hammers out a lot of the way that we talk about CTV. It's going to change the way that we talk about digital overall. Everything is moving into a frequency and impression based. What we do is we try to build a transparent, consolidated buy, which is using all of our tools for security and visibility to know where we're spending from the top of the waterfall all the way down to the bottom of the waterfall and try to get as integrated with as many partners as possible 
the best thing about what we do is it's so challenging and it's so fast paced. So we get to test a lot of new tools very quickly. And I think we'll be kind of ahead of the curve going into the next presidential cycle. Do you believe CTV will eventually overtake linear? And if so, at what point? I think it's going to become a video team and not a siloed television and digital team. There are planning firms that are and actually major cable companies that are coming out with tools to plan linear and nonlinear in the same place. And that's a really fascinating part of the marketplace, too. Yeah, Billy, as much as it pains me to hear that you guys are there, I totally agree. And the challenge here is, you know, how do you get in front of your audience as efficiently as possible? What I think is lost in this conversation is sort of where and how these lines get a little bit blurred. And so what does CTV mean today? If I'm watching Hulu on my phone, is that CTV? If I'm watching YouTube, which most people think about as desktop or mobile phones on my TV, is that CTV? And so like what we're really buying for is impact and outcomes. And where can we deliver a persuasive video message to a voter to get them to shift their opinion? Yeah, I've just stopped calling it CTV, OTT, FEP, whatever acronym you want to use. And it's just nonlinear. I feel like that makes the conversation a whole lot better. I feel like much of the industry would agree with you. We do have a tendency to overcomplicate things. Let me ask you guys this, like just real quick. Older voters are tied to political advertising quite a bit. Does your research show that they're cord cutters? Is that something that's happening or are they still consuming their TV through linear pipes? When we first started really heavily digitally campaigning when I was at another firm, people would say, well, this is a rural district. We don't need that much digital budget there. Well, I would go home to Mississippi and I would have dinner with my parents and they're sitting there on their phones on Facebook the whole time. CTV's kind of gone the same route where I have family out in the woods with internet watching Hulu on a Roku device. It's happening. We're going to see it more and more as this technology develops. Yeah, I think that's a common misconception. I mean, I can think of more than a handful of candidate or principal meetings we've been in where someone will say, you know, people of my generation aren't on digital while they're on their phone typing away, half listening to the conversation. This is pretty universal, but I think we see something like 50 or 60% of total time spent with TV content is streaming for like the 18 to 34 group. And that's still 20-ish percent for people north of 55. And so it's becoming pretty common universal behavior. How do you guys even determine someone is a swing voter? Like what makes you guys come to that conclusion? This has been a huge area of innovation, I think needs to be an area of continued focus. And so historically, this has been done through what people call modeling. And so taking surveys of a relatively small portion of the population, a couple hundred thousand people, seeing how they respond both for who they support, what issues might persuade them, and then projecting those characteristics on people who look like them. We have been really focused on pushing the envelope there in really two ways. One is moving past the basic voter file targeting. And so that is to say, it's relatively easy to tell and this data is available, everyone who's a registered voter in the country. That sort of forces people to skew towards historical voting behavior. And so as we think about turning out new electorates, making sure that we're appealing to a representative group and a diverse group of citizens, there's a real need to move beyond that and sort of prospect for people who are likely to participate if we can find the right issues to activate them. The second piece is bringing this up to the modern era. 
And so a lot of this work has historically been done through quick phone polling and based on asking people questions about what they think they'd prefer, but not actually seeing what they'd prefer in the real world. And so what we've moved to is a lot more real world creative testing, where we'll deliver people ads on their TVs, on their phones, on their computers, measure the impact, and then tie that back to folks so we can see what's really holding their attention. Yeah, totally agree. Modeling is great. There are tools that we have that are currently available built into platforms that allow the AI to kind of take over and help you use billions of data points a day to figure out who is a swing voter. The technology there is really fascinating and it's been extremely helpful. You know, as you guys know, a lot of these digital platforms, they started implementing different rules and regulations for political advertising. But at the same time, we've seen a rise in all these different capabilities at your guys' disposal when you guys are advertising. So was your job easier, you know, 10 years ago versus today, or is it easier now? It's a mix. I would say that it's not just the privacy rules and regulations. It's the way that the space has changed. People are consuming more information than ever. And so I would say it's easier than ever now to get an ad online. It's harder than ever to make sure that that ad is having an impact. And that's harder because there's so many different ways to buy or deliver an ad. People are receiving so much other information and disinformation about various topics. And of course, it's harder to track reach and frequency across platforms and back to the household and the voter. And so I I would say, actually, despite innovations, our job has been getting harder over the last four or six years in particular. Yeah, it's a little harder these days because we are trying to tie everything back to the voter file or to our modeled audiences. And with every new piece of tech that comes online, there's a new challenge on on how to measure that, how to use it, how to get it integrated with security tools and the visibility tools. I mean, it's extremely complicated. We're like right in the middle of figuring out how it's all going to work. I find that honestly super fascinating and third party cookies they're eventually going away. How does that tie into something like political advertising, especially with the presidential elections? Can you guys give our listeners some insight about how something like the expiration of cookies is going to impact what you guys do? All of the principles of what we've been doing remain the same. The practice of doing that and the measurability of that will be reduced over time. And sort of typical voter file targeting will also become harder over time. And so that just requires smarter buying. And so one thing, for example, that we've been thinking a lot about is even if we can't target individual voters, especially as more consumption moves to targetable CTV, how do we find the right way to slice our buys in terms of narrow geographies and demographics and viewership behavior that maybe it's not one to one anymore, but it's one to three or one to six. That sort of preserves a lot of that efficiency in reaching the people we need to win. That to your last question, just makes everything harder. There's more analytics skill required, more data science skill. We have to manage and build relationships with more platforms to get to the same level of reach. All doable, but an uphill battle for political marketers in particular. I mean, there are what, two new user IDs out there right now that platforms are are actively implementing to try to bridge to the future. You've got that, you've got all new types of contextual targeting, all new types of AI targeting that are gonna be coming online. Like 
we're basically going to be rebuilding the the airplane while we're flying it next cycle. It's going to be fun when it's going to be really challenging. I would also say that this could force maybe some good changes in the political space. And so I think back to some of our work on the Biden campaign, one of the most interesting things that we did was building relationships, some sponsorships with the gaming community and finding ways that on a platform like Twitch, for example, that didn't take political ads, how we could make sure that our message was present there for some voters we knew we needed to reach. And so forcing some innovation in that area that goes a little bit beyond the typical take your data, match it online, target that group of people, I think will actually be a net positive for sort of the creativity and messaging development of the space, even if it's painful at the midpoints. One of the interesting things about what you guys do is each fall, you guys are in competition with an unlikely rival, which is auto dealerships. A lot of our listeners probably don't know why that is and what you guys go through, but what happens every fall? Like, what do you guys go through? What are some of the challenges? Yeah, that's one of the industries that really starts advertising heavily for their end of year sales, new model sales, what have you. So we really have to look at when we're planning our upfront buys, we kind of have to look and figure out how much we're going to need, look at the market and see how much is coming off the table and go in there and buy it basically because they are a heavy spender in october not only are we buying the dims are buying the big industries are buying so we could see a 20 dollars cpm turn into a 50 dollars cpm especially if you're laying on a bunch of targeting and we think about this in two ways there's a challenge of inventory scarcity and then there's a challenge of sort of message competition and confusion on the inventory scarcity piece, there's way too much late spending in politics. And I think far too often the donor base and fundraising doesn't kick in until it's almost too late. And if we're able to book that media earlier, really plan ahead and think about, even if we don't know the message, let's at least buy the canvas and think about what we're painting later, that can save a huge amount of money and help every dollar go further. On the auto piece, you know, we think about this in terms of sort of market competitors, like who are the other people in a race that are talking about an issue, and then mindshare competitors that are sort of adjacent to that. What's interesting just in how political issues are making their way into every piece of consumer behavior, people are probably hearing about environmental issues as much from Ford and GM and Tesla and others about electric cars as they're going to be from political candidates. And so just thinking about the full scope of what a voter might be seeing, hearing and digesting is really critical to both effective media planning, but also effective message planning. And that's it for The Current. Stay tuned because next week we will talk to Campbell Soup Company, who discusses how the 150-year-old legacy brand is reaching today's consumers. We have to be authentically Campbell and it's understanding who we are as a brand, but then doing it with a modern twist. That is really the difference. The Current is produced by Wonder Media Network. Our theme is by Loving Caliber. The Trade Desk team includes Cassie Crosby, Yvonne Sikich, Kat Vesey, Melinda Zurich, and Christine Gallagher. And remember, who are we really reaching? Is it really sticking? And are we making the right budget allocations for how people are consuming media today? Not just sticking to the old playbook on that. It's all about how can you measure how your message is received, not how many times it was viewed. I'm George. And I'm Elise. And we'll see you next week.